This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Kirsten, or our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and I'm joined each week by the Director of Research, Cameron Brandt, to talk mutual funds and ETFs, flows and allocations data, and the overall market sense we're seeing in our data. Uh, Cam, we're starting to see more and more hot and sunny days down here in Austin. Um, I'm heading up your way next week. Am, am I in for a shock or is it is it warming up there too? It's uh, making true the classic statement about New England weather, which is if you don't like it, wait for 35 minutes and <laughs> you'll have something different. So, uh, But no, it, it is not as balmy as uh, Austin, Texas right here. Well, hopefully it'll it'll get there soon. <laughs> um, among the data, we we've seen signs of investors continuing to cut risk, increase exposure to China's rebound story, and steer cash into liquidity funds. EPFR fund flows, which we usually refer to in this podcast, showed weekly inflows hit a 155-week high going into money market funds. And to further strengthen that, data from EPFR's iMoneyNet offering shows that the AUM of taxable U.S. money market funds has moved past the $5 trillion mark. Um, a typically safe and low-risk investment option, is this a reaction to concerns of the economic slowdown do you think oh I think I think so um, you know historically the big uh, issue for US money market funds was trying to lure um, cash that was sort of sitting in very low yielding vehicles in banks uh, into their uh, slightly higher yielding but not FDIC uh, insured offerings um, so the uh, the recent uh, collapse of several U.S. regional banks has certainly uh, given that uh, transition uh, a shot in, shot in the arm or a kick in the rear, depending on your views. Um, so, um, you know, of course, uh, it perhaps brings a few problems uh, of its own with it. Uh, you know, the funds all of a sudden have to uh, adjust to these sudden influxes, but they have a good history of doing that. Uh, and it does mean that uh, another chunk of uh, low-cost deposits uh, has moved out of U.S. banks, uh, which will mean that you know they may need to re- re- uh, replace that uh, with money from the wholesale market, which is probably going to be more expensive, especially given views on the risks associated with uh, banks in general at the moment. So I guess those are some potential risks we'll, we'll face down the line if, if flows continue at this pace. Um, the previous weeks of turmoil around regional banks had some thinking the U.S. Fed would have reason to pause its current tightening cycle. Nonetheless, we, we saw the week start with a 50 basis point hike from the ECB and closed out the week with a 25 basis point one from the U.S., this sent most investors running from assets on the final day that 
they had committed to earlier in the week. Um, an inflation safe zone gold funds picked up their biggest inflows since mid April last year. U.S. bond funds did see five billion flow in still, while redemptions for Europe bond funds hit a 23 week high. Some are predicting that a recession in 2023 is an inevitable, but how soon and to what extent are still in question. Um, now, this recession is is nothing like t- 2008 when the U.S. housing market bubbled and burst, mortgage-backed securities plunged in value. How is this potential recession different? One is that, you know, despite the latest uh, rate increase, uh, the, uh, the markets truly believe that the Fed has their back and that, uh, you know, price stability is not the only uh, thing that the Fed is paying attention to. Uh, Since the great financial crisis uh, frequently focuses on economic growth and uh, uh, employment uh, for the analysis of the market and its stated goals for monetary policy. So, you know, the risks have obviously gone up. If there are more really nasty surprises in the banking system, that's going to have obvious effects on credit. Uh, and the Fed is proving that it is serious about getting inflation under control. But I think as soon as uh, it sees inflation, you know, really, tr- really strongly trending towards where it wants, um, that those other uh uh, implicit rather than explicit goals, uh, so decent levels of employment and economic growth will begin to rise up the informal agenda within the Fed policy meetings. And did this take direct kind of effect on, on any fund flows we're seeing? Uh, it did. I mean, it, it was not expected, the, the Fed rate hike uh, markets had... Um, decided that uh, the the Fed would rapidly move back to the playbook that had seen us through the pandemic. And then in in terms of the speed of their action in in, uh, trying to stabilize uh, the banking uh, issues before they uh, became bigger, the the Fed delivered. Uh, What they didn't deliver on was the other part of the assumption, which is that they would also... uh, at the very least, pause their current hiking cycle. Um, but, you know, anyone, <laughs> and again, here, here I date myself, but anyone who lives through the oil shock-driven inflation of the 70s and 80s will know that if you miss the first chance to get on top of inflation, it can become very sticky indeed. Indeed, in the U.S., uh, it took the better part of a decade and Volcker jacking base interest rates up into double digits before um, it really came under control. So, um, you know, there are enough people in the Fed <laughs> who remember those days and, and are, are anxious not to repeat that particular policy mistake. Now with that fallout by the SVB and kind of continuous rounds of layoffs that we've seen in the sector, some would have thought that technology would have been harder hit. At least, you know, I I thought it was a potential. Um, Quite the opposite has been the case. Tech sector funds have taken in five straight weeks of inflows, and that totals $2.8 billion. But this 
might have to do with the hype around AI and the, and those potential capabilities it opens to the world. Um, when we did drill down onto artificial intelligence or AI funds, we found that monthly flows in February rose to a 22-month high of 400 million. And in this past week, we saw chat GPT set records with a fast-growing number of users and Google launch a AI chat bot as well. So what's your insight on all of this? Could Do you think AI could be a driver or a trend behind the tech sector in the rest of the year? Uh, I certainly think that uh, the excitement about AI has been a nice little tailwind uh, for the sector, especially in the U.S., uh, but I think actually the enthusiasm for technology sector funds that we've seen uh, is tied to you know, something more fundamental, which is that uh, uh, before the uh, Silicon Valley Bank imploded, um, we were seeing fairly consistent outflows from those funds, especially U.S. ones. Uh, and the underlying issue was that investors were not comfortable with valuations. They were not comfortable with the staffing levels and, and sort of general fiscal discipline being shown by many uh, of the leading plays. Uh, and they were not happy with the uh, effect of steadily rising U.S. interest rates uh, on the, the costs of the capital that many of these firms burn up at a pretty impressive rate. You know, going into this week, uh, they were able to sort of pencil in a different scenario. Um, and we'd already start seen some of the major names start to get a, a bit of a grip on staffing levels and rounds of pretty high-profile layoffs. Um, and if you believed the uh, consensus that the Fed would uh, check its rate hikes, um and most people did, um, then, you know, you already had uh, two conditions for uh, a better outlook, the technology plays, which is uh, more attention on, on costs and uh, uh, an earlier uh, change in, in monetary policy towards uh, declining interest rates. So, uh, and valuations have been somewhat taken care of in, in recent months. So certainly last week uh, looked like a pretty good entry point to get back into the sector, um, whether a 25 basis point hike will chase people back out, I don't know, but I suspect not. And, and there, you know, the, 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 the burst of excitement around AI and GBG <laughs> will, will certainly help. Yeah, definitely. Kind of relating, I guess, um, when I took a look at the net flows for SRI and ESG dedicated sector funds year to date, flows have been pretty much non-existent for telecoms and, and negative for one group, and that was healthcare and biotechnology sector funds. That matches kind of the overall direction we've seen for that group. Um the other groups in flows were accounted for much in the beginning of the year, with eight out of the 11 groups posting inflows in January, while in February we only saw four groups with net inflows, so half. More generally, in the past week, uh, SRI and ESG equity funds posted their second largest outflow on record, and SRI and ESG bond funds recorded their biggest outflow in over eight months. Why do you think 
this was the case this past week. It's, it's been a fairly tough uh, period for SRISG themes with uh, you know, um, armaments factories humming uh, across, across the globe. Um, some of the more painful realities about transitioning uh, from the historic energy sources to clean energy really biting into people's pockets. Um, and, uh, you know, some continued um, uncertainty about um, what is the right SRI ESG offering uh, and how sort of realistic um, it is to expect um, funds that are supposed to uh, protect and grow your money to try and both do that and do good. Um, you, you know, they've had a little bit of a reality check recently. Um, these funds do tend to have higher cost structures because, you know, unjustifiably, uh, to, to sort of do proper due diligence costs some money. Um, but, you know, when people, people are nervous uh, and sort of, looking for any way to <laughs> either cut costs or cut risks, um, SRI, ESG funds um, can come out of the wrong side of those calculations in the short run. Um, and they also, we saw a very, you've seen a very big run up into the, that particular fund group. And I think some people, you know, may feel overexposed. You know, there was always, after the relentless inflows we saw between sort of 2019, 2021, uh, you know, it, it is a truism of fund flows that sooner or later they revert to some mean, uh, and the flows we saw to SRIESG funds were screaming out that that was going to happen at some point. So slightly, slightly expected, I guess, but yeah, it shouldn't come as much of a shock as it may to some people. Good. Well, thank you for your insight, Cam, um, and we will see you back here next week. Yes, uh, enjoy your travels to colder climes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll record next week in New yeah. York, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. For more information, visit epfr.com or epfr.buzzsprout.com. Interested in joining Cam and Kirsten to talk fund flows and allocation data or have a suggestion for the topic of a future podcast? Email us directly at podcast at epfr.com.